Welcome to Right Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. to my new friend, Chris Savino. He is the author of this lovely book I found called Cold, A Cautionary Christmas Tale. Does that sound like it intrigues you? It definitely intrigued me, especially when I saw the cover. When you see the cover of this book, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that is absolutely phenomenal. What's even more interesting is that most of you know, I don't really read middle grade or young adult books, but this book had me laughing. And there's so much depth to the book that even if you are an adult, you can see the subtext under the narrative. And if you're a kid, you're just going to laugh out loud and enjoy the story as a good story. So go ahead, love on my brother today. Pick up your copy of Cole, A Cautionary Christmas Tale, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. You are going to enjoy it. I want to thank you all for your support of my newest release, A Chance for Genevieve. It's part of the Last Chance Brides, which is the spinoff of the Blizzard Bride series, available exclusively on Amazon. Your response has been absolutely phenomenal. If you haven't had a chance, go ahead and pick up your copy today. Now, you know that during the month of October, I love to showcase authors who write dark fiction. But that's what the show is all about, showcasing Christian authors worldwide. We have been doing that now for the past nine years. And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net, smash that follow button, and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. And so let's bring on my good friend today. Chris, how you doing? Hey there. That was a great introduction. Thanks. It's just the truth, though. You know I enjoyed your book. No, I enjoyed reading it. Really love the subtext under it. And we definitely want to give a shout-out to Josh Peck, and he is the reason for us being together. I love Josh. Josh was my very first author who booked a show on this show, and his book at the time was Disclosure. So that's why I always remember Josh. He was not my first guest, but he's the first one to book on this show. So, yeah, I love Josh and love his family. Hope he's doing well. Josh, shout-out to you. Now, Chris, I need to know a little bit more about you. I only know a little bit from our books, but go ahead and tell us about yourself. Well, gosh, where do I start? I worked in the animation industry for, gosh, 25 years. And uh, so storytelling has always been kind of part of my life and my career. And writing books was nothing that had ever occurred to me until, you know, as all of us, especially Christians, we have things that happen in our lives that kind of change our trajectory. And back in 2017, I'm going to be quick about it, and it just doesn't mean I'm glossing over it in any emotional way. But in 2017, my whole career kind of came to an end with, I got caught up in 
Me too. And through the magic of the internet and how things can spread like gossip around the world, it caused me to lose my job, lose my career. And at the time, I had an animated show that's still on Nickelodeon called The Loud House. And so I was on top of the world and then literally within a day was absolutely had nothing. I lost my job, my career, my house, my family fell apart, got divorced. And so the last five years, I've been spending that time rebuilding my bridge uh, with my family, with my ex-wife, my kids. And I'm happy to say we all are in a better place than we were ever before that. And uh, within that time, as somebody who was working with loads of people, suddenly had nobody to work with, I switched myself to a creative outlet that I hadn't really focused on before. And that was writing books. And Cole was the first one that came out of it. And I'll be honest with you, the book took on a life of its own because during that time is when I found Christ. And because of all of the negativity that was going on, the book itself turned into a redemption story. And I couldn't help but put those undertones into the story because it was what I was going through personally. So in a sense, the book had a a cathartic way of, of helping me through the terrible things that were going on in my life and in my heart and in my brain at the time. What's really fascinating about what you said is that here you are having everything taken away from you and God meets you in that void, but he was always there. And it's interesting how writing becomes an outlet for healing and it can be therapy and you can put all your emotions into that story. And that's what I like about Cole is that even though it's a middle grade book, I I would think like middle grade speculative fiction, um, kind of dark, a little darkness to it. But it appeals to the kids, the big kids and the small kids, because this is a story of redemption. And I like that the personal aspect of the story is there. So, yeah, I am just thrilled that in the midst of your darkness, you found the light. And so I'm glad to be part of the journey for you to get word out about your book and let people know more about it. Now, you were talking about animation. So you were doing like cartoon animation, computer animation. What, what all does that involve? Goodness. When I started in the industry, computer animation was a baby. So I started in 1991. You know, I was a 19-year-old kid from Michigan who got a job on a brand new show at the time called Ren and Stimpy. Um, No one had seen it yet. And it was a TV show or a cartoon that kind of changed the face of television animation. It was, you know, we were coming out of the 80s where we had a lot of toy commercial cartoons pretty much. And this just changed it. It was hearkening back to the Looney Tunes or MGM screwball cartoons from the 40s and 50s. And it just reinvigorated an entire genre of animation, which is for television. And I was lucky enough, fortunate enough. I don't know. I look back now that I'm a Christian. I look back at all those places where I've said in my career, I was so lucky to be there when they were hiring for this, or I was so lucky to be there when they were hiring for that. And I don't even apply talent to that. I look back now and go, oh, no, God was there. That wasn't luck. He was putting me in those places. And I'm certainly grateful for that. So yeah, God put me in California in 1991 to work on that show. And I've been lucky enough, again, there's that word again, to be working on shows for Cartoon Network, Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls. I've worked on a show for Warner Brothers called Johnny Test. I worked for at Disney on a show called Kick Potowski. And so I was really high up in the industry, but the one thing that I hadn't done was actually sell my own creation. And that I got that opportunity in 2014 uh, when I pitched this show called The Loud House. 
And anybody who's listening who happens to know the story of it, it started out as a boy rabbit who had 25 sisters with kind of the conceit of the show. But over development, it became, and, and thankfully so, it became an actual human boy character with 10 sisters. And as soon as that change was made, I started to pull from my own life. And so there was an authenticity and an honesty that got put into the show naturally. I'm from a family of 10. I have five sisters. So all of that kind of fed into the storytelling of it. And that, I think, was the thing that really made the show accessible and a, a favorite of kids is that it had an authenticity to it and it had an honesty to it. But I don't think you can really make up those things. You can you can watch the show and really feel like, gosh, that story had to have happened to somebody because you kids can't make that stuff up. And, you know, it became, you know, the number one show on Nickelodeon. It battled with SpongeBob. It still continues. SpongeBob is a juggernaut. So we were first and second in the ratings for a couple of years. And then tragedy struck in my life where in 2017, actually almost exactly five years ago, as we speak, you know, the bottom fell out. And I should make sure that I clarify when I say things like my show was taken away from me. I know full well that due to my poor decision-making in my life at the time caused me to lose it. I'm not blaming anybody for taking anything away from me. And I just want to be clear about that. Nothing wrong here and no judgment on this show. I should probably tell you that. I don't want to minimize anything. If you're coming from a place of healing and redemption and doing better, good. I loved hearing all the different shows you were a part of. When you mentioned Ren and Stimpy, I remember that as a kid. So yeah, that's so cool, Chris. You got all these things happening in your life and that's leading you to Christ, leading you to write, leading you to this story. I got to know, what was the genesis of this? I believe that... You know, sometimes it starts with a title. Sometimes you get a title in your head, and who knows where those titles come from. Maybe the good Lord just puts them there and lets you do with what you want using your own free will. But the the word coal always stuck in my head as a cool title for a book. And this was, gosh, I want to say back in 2007, 8, maybe even earlier that this title had popped in my head. And I wrote down on a piece of paper, I wish I could find it, Cole, I didn't have the cautionary Christmas tale tagline yet, but I just wrote, a boy has to work in Santa's coal mines, or a naughty boy. That's all I wrote down. And I'm telling you, it sat in my folder of ideas for years. I never thought another thing about it until 2017, when I was I just felt this desperation, like, what am I going to do? I had 25 years working in an industry that I love, was no longer welcome in it, but still have, it's the only thing I knew how to do was to be creative. Now, you know, things can be taken away from you, physical things. A show, for example, could be taken away, but you can't take away creativity, and I couldn't turn it off. So in my kind of desperate need for an outlet because had I not had an outlet, I don't know what I would have done. I just started writing and that particular book popped back in my head and I just started writing. And I don't know where it came from. Sometimes I don't know if you do this, but I'll look back at something I've written, a script or whatever, and I'll read it and like, boy, I don't remember writing any of this. Like, wow, these jokes are pretty good. But I don't remember coming up with them. I don't think I'm a particularly good joke writer, for example. But 
uh, they're there on the page. Somebody must have wrote them. I guess they were my fingers. But so, yeah, it took me about six months to write the first draft of the book. And because I'd worked in animation so long, the book and read it, it definitely has the feeling as if I'm adapting a movie into book form. It feels like it's an animated feature. It feels like it comes from that world. And rightly so. I had 25 years of my life in that area. You're really good at the visual, and that comes through a lot. And even the medium of using the middle grade category helps because as you're reading the book, it is very tactile. And I say this a lot, but it's true. It's immersive because if I can lose myself in your book, if I can visualize myself there, then you've done a really good job. And Charlie is just a doll and a little stinker. And he is so mischievous, but woven throughout this narrative of working in Santa's coal mine, there's a lot of stuff going on here. So we're just going to give you a taste of the story. We're going to keep it really vague. We're doing that on purpose. So if we met Charlie in our world now, where would he be sitting? In the classroom, on the playground, or in the teacher's principal's office? He might be sitting in the hallway. I don't know if teachers still put kids in the hallway, but I'm thinking from my childhood, he might be put outside the door because he was maybe, I'll go back to like a 1930s reference, dipping Penny's uh, ponytail into the inkwell in, in his desk. He would do stuff like that. He's not a jerk. He just can't help it. He's like Dennis the Menace. He's got the idle fingers that the devil finds work for and does stuff that he thinks is satisfying to him without thinking about the consequences that it causes, not only for himself, but for those people. And in this story, he gets a good dose of thinking about, my goodness, these things that I've done his entire short life has caused consequences that he has to help undo. One thing about Charlie, too, is that you really do a great job personifying a boy's behavior because there's a scene in there early in the story where he's just busy. And his parents are like, oh, my gosh, stop. But he's, you know, part of it's him just being a boy, you know. And then you, you can see how sometimes they say, oh, girls are better because she's just sitting quiet. She's in a room, very composed and contained. And I said, well, you switch up. It's as you get older, the little girl becomes this little girl. You just want to rip her throat off, you know. And then the little boy calms down, you know. So it's just pick your battles, you know. And I'm being very facetious to our listeners out there. I'm not being serious about that at all. But it was funny because I was reading. I was like, look at the little girl. She's so cute, so cuddly. She just lays there. Nothing's wrong. And then later on, we find out some things. At first, you meet her. She's just such a good little boy. I mean, she's just a good little girl. And he's such a bad little boy. He's just naughty. But honestly, Charlie is very honest. And I appreciate that because sometimes the problems we put on the facade, he fully knows that I am a naughty little boy and I'm going to revel in my naughtiness until. That's right. And I got to tell you, again, like these things that were going on in my lifetime are coming out in these books. Like this kid could have been the guy who, or the kid who pretended like he was good. Like it wasn't me, like the typical kid who kind of shirks the blame off onto someone else. But he does honestly know what he's doing and he takes responsibility for those things, which I think is commendable in a way when you read it it's difficult when you have a, a main character who as you know as a writer you're trying to get your audience or your readers to root for them in a way because 
they deserve your attention and they deserve your support throughout the story. But he's like a bad kid. He's naughty. And like, how, why, like, why do I care if he's, uh, gets stolen away by Santa, uh, Santa's elves to work in the coal mine. It's a delicate balance to figure that out. And I think one of the things is him fully accepting who he is. And also I think there's a line in the book where he says he just can't help it. And that to me was a line that really helped me internally go, okay, I think I can root for this kid or at least go along for the ride and see where this ends up. And I don't hate him. We kind of slightly feel sorry for him. But not in a sappy way. Exactly. And you don't do that at all. There's a certain self-awareness that he has that we talked about. But then he has a very interesting night. And his night begins when his parents go to sleep. What starts to happen for him? Well, we don't want to give too much away, but he pulled a little prank on his sister earlier that got him in trouble. Sent to his room on Christmas Eve. And he has a point of view about Santa. And he has a point of view about Christmas. And one thing I really wanted to make sure I didn't say in this story was Santa doesn't exist. He only says, I don't believe in him. And we know, especially as Christians, it is about belief. And we have this belief in things unseen. And that, to me, was really intriguing that it came through not only in the story, but it was, like I said, the very, it was my first year of being a Christian. And so... I struggled with that, with the belief of not seeing. I've come to terms with it since then and fully accept it. But for this kid, he says, like, I don't believe in him. And so he's like, well, you know, she's like, you're going to, the little sister's like, well, you're going to get coal in your stocking. You're like, oh, where does Santa get all this coal? He's just challenging someone else's beliefs. And we all experience that. So that night, that warning from his little sister comes true. He is one of the naughty kids who has to go and work in Santa's coal mine, and some of Santa's little minions, the evil elves, come and kidnap him, taking him back up the chimney and taking him to North Pole to work in the mine. And there's just enough darkness in this story, not to frighten your kids or anything like that, but just to kind of, you know, you don't want to scar them for life, you know, but there's just enough darkness to let you know that the darkness is real. And there's enough of the spiritual warfare aspect. Again, it's very subtle. That's one thing that you excelled at throughout this whole narrative, the subtleties underneath the actual story. And you did a really good job of that. But he goes through an experience. And as he's going through this experience, one of the things he starts to realize is why he made some of the choices that he makes. So he really starts to think things through. And we're not going to go too much further than that. And the reason why is because I want you to pick up your copy of Cole, A Cautionary Tale of Christmas. Now, I'm actually showcasing it for the month of Halloween, only because I like to showcase Christians who write darker stuff during the holiday. So that's what I like to do. So we're definitely showcasing this during Halloween. But you can pick up during Christmas, too. It's totally awesome. you know. And I do want to talk a little bit about the cover of the story. I love the cover. The cover is phenomenal. It really drew me in. So just tell us a little bit about the cover um, in the few moments that we have left. Sure. Well, so the original cover, which I took down off of Amazon, was just a lump of coal. And that was it. It was on a stark white background. It was a lump of coal. And it just had the word coal, a cautionary Christmas tale on the front. I just liked the starkness of it. But over the year or two years that it was actually available on Amazon, I was fortunate enough to get a friend of mine who 
had read the book and knew that I wanted to make an animated feature out of it, she suggested that she give a little bit of money, we'll just say, invest in me, invest in the project, invest in my future to produce a two-minute CG animated proof of concept is what it's called in the industry to show when you go to investors like, this is what the movie is going to look like, this is the tone, et cetera. And so my girlfriend, comma, at the time said, well, she's from Romania. She's like, well, we should maybe reach out to some Romanian studios and see if they're interested in helping us out. Because what we were trying to do was figure out a way to make an animated feature that wasn't like a 40, 80, $100 million movie like the bigger companies are doing, but do like a five, seven, ten million dollar feature, which is a ton of money. I know when I say ten million, it makes it sound like nothing, but by comparison, it is nothing. So we found a great studio in Romania called Static VFX, and we reached out to them, and they were more than happy to give us a really good deal of the animations. So. You know, through the magic of Instagram, we found a designer and we found a colorist. And so we put together this two-minute proof of concept. And I think it came out really great. And one of the iconic images in that two-minute piece was that moment when Charlie first meets who are the things that are running the coal mine, not Santa. He's got other stuff to do, which are the reindeer. And uh, in Charlie's version of what this Santa's coal mines could look like the reindeer are actually like centaur, a big kind of man animal beasts that are pretty nasty. So that's his first, that's where he meets him for the very first time. And then the story takes off from there. I wouldn't want to meet these reindeer. They are pretty tough. And I was so glad it was a kid's book. I would say if you were to put that in like a adult context, like a, like they did Winnie the Pooh recently. <laughs> It'd be horrific, right? <laughs> It'd be absolutely horrific. Like, ooh, those reindeers are monsters, you know. But again, it's enough darkness to let the kids know that darkness does exist without, like I said, scarring them for life. So definitely pick up your copy of Cole. I just want to say, like, Charlie, for example, he does undercut the darkness of these characters with his humor and with his kind of naughty ways. So you're still kind of rooting for Charlie in the dark scenes and he kind of brings a little bit of levity to the situation. So, you know, kids, I would say six and up will be totally fine reading this book. Yeah, I was just going to ask you if that will be the recommended age group because, but like I said, it's really good. I will call it clean, very sweet, clean. There's nothing weird about it, but there is that element of darkness to that. You do have to give that caution. I don't think, a, like, I was, and most people know this already, uh, Chris, I was exposed to the predator when I was five. So <laughs> my grandmother loved horror. So <laughs> there you go. So I would recommend that for everybody. And well, you know what? There's still a few screws left in there. No one knows about it because they think, oh, she's fine. She writes romance around my brain here. But uh, Chris, I just want to thank you so much for being here with me today. If people want to get in contact with you, where can they find you online? Gosh, if it's business related, I do have a LinkedIn. If it's just kind of interest in, you know, my art and what I'm doing, I am on Instagram um, under Scaredy Cat Productions, which was the production company that we started to uh, make as an LLC to make this feature for if we're, God willing, if we're able. Uh, those are the only two places that I have social media. I kind of just wiped myself clean of social media uh, about five years ago. And then if anyone's interested in hearing more about the story uh, in 2017, other than 
the the gossip you can read online. My girlfriend and I started a YouTube channel called Christian Car Rides, where we talk honestly and openly about everything that happened and everything that's been said, and we get the rest of the story out there, and that's on YouTube. Well, thank you for offering us that opportunity for transparency and clarity. Uh, I was really brave of you to be that vulnerable, and I commend you highly for that. It's vulnerability. Like, well, all my business is out there, and here we go talking about it. But definitely appreciate that transparency, Chris. Thank you so much for that. For our listeners who are interested in that, go ahead and do what he said there. You know, Chris, this show is always about encouraging authors whom God has given the gift to write, or in your case, to create. Do so. So go ahead. In a few moments we have left, encourage our authors out there today. Yeah, I would say don't be afraid. Write the story that you want to write. Don't write the stories that you think people want to read. Don't let the agents tell you that this book or that book or this story or that story isn't selling. You don't want to be one of the rest of the books that's selling. You want to be the book or the story that people go, well, I want to write a story like that. You want to be that person. And don't be afraid to be that person. Write honestly, write authentically, and just write from your heart. And I know when people say write what you know sounds a little cliche, but when you do write what you know, even if it is sci-fi or horror or fantasy, when you inject your heart and what you know into it, There's a certain amount of authenticity that comes through in those books that I think make those books more successful than the books that are being churned out because it's what is popular in in culture at the time. Chris, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Can't wait to have you back and have you back real soon. And we were talking today to Chris Savino. He is the author of the book, Cole, A Cautionary Christmas Tale. It's available for sale on Amazon.com. Go ahead and pick up your copy today. I really enjoyed reading Cole, and I was so surprised how invested I got involved into the story and how much it related to me. But Chris was very honest and frank. This story is about redemption. He put himself inside of this story. What are you redeemed from? What are you dealing with? What are you healing from? Maybe the Lord wants you to write that story, to tell others about it. Go ahead, pick up the pen, and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 